Welcome to this week's edition of the St. Paul Podcast. I'm Peter Marty, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, located in the heart of Davenport, Iowa. Right here each week, you can hear a message to inspire your walk with God and hear beautiful music to fill your life. Let this podcast be your occasion to contemplate some of the deepest things in life, just as I hope it helps faith come alive for you. Apostle Paul shows up in Athens in the book of Acts, he is on the run. Some citizens and synagogue goers in other communities, Thessalonica most recently, grew tired of him. He had to take off. When he wore out his welcome, he often left town in a hurry. Escorts led Paul to the coast and took him down to Athens where he could blend in with a much larger and different culture. And different it was. Athens was the intellectual center of the ancient world, where philosophers and literary giants and political thinkers of note all resided. Athenian culture of the time was also steeped in idol worship as well, as you'll hear in just a moment from our reading. And it's into this pagan milieu that Paul steps with his witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. As you hear Paul addressing the Athenians about their idol worship, I don't want us to pass up on his words 
as if we have no issue with idols in our own lives. In fact, you and I have a big problem falling in love and placing our trust in all kinds of things that don't deserve to be central to our lives. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. More on that in just a moment. First, our reading from the book of Acts, the 17th chapter, beginning at the 16th verse. In Athens, Paul was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued there in the synagogue with the Jews and other devout persons, and also every day in the marketplace with whoever happened to be there. Some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with Paul. Some of them said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, O Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went about through your city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them one altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, this Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is this one served by human hands as though needing anything, since God gives to all people life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and God allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for God and find God. Though indeed God is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. So reads the, a portion of the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. Well, I have titled my message for this day, Worshiping What We Love, and see if the connection between your loves and desires and affections in life and where you end up placing your trust, see if some of that all comes together and makes sense for you. So take a listen. In 2010, my wife and I, Susan and I, uh, found ourselves in Italy, and we spent two or three nights in Cortona. If you don't, some of you have probably been there. If you haven't, Cortona is a really ancient city, village. Uh, the walls around it, and there are high walls that surround the entire town, uh, were built in the third century BC. And uh, What's most distinctive, I think, about Cortona is not just the good food that's served there, but the streets. They're just like inclined so steeply, so narrow, that I can't imagine how anybody of significant age or disability could even navigate the, the steepness of those inclines, the steps even to get into the city. It's way up on a hill, 2,000 or so feet uh, up. Well, central to this town of Cortona, you see the tower there, is the Church of St. Marguerite, or St. Margaret. It kind of organizes the town. It was built in the 11th century by some monks, and it's named after St. Margaret of Cortona. 
This was a uh, woman of the Franciscan order. She lived with a vow of poverty, and she is the patron saint of the chronically mentally ill, of homeless people, of single mothers, of street tramps, of prostitutes, of all kinds of different human conditions. Margaret died in the year 1297, which happens to be a long time ago. But catch this, her body is interred in the altar of St. Margaret's Church. Her corpse sits inside this glass piece, I kid you not. And through some magic of embalming fluids and lotions that evidently somehow keep skin relatively intact over time, uh, she is preserved. Yeah, it's bizarre. You step in there and there's a light a long fluorescent bulb that illuminates her body there inside the altar of St. Margaret's Church. And for a number of centuries, what they did on their annual summer festival, as some of the faithful would take that glass casket out and they would march with her through the parade, through the town, up and down these steep streets of Cortona. I don't think they do that anymore. She's getting fragile now after... Uh, a number of years. The people of Cortona, they worship St. Margaret. Their devotion, it's very, very real to them. And I suppose the easiest thing for any of us would be to ridicule that kind of worship, to mock it, to belittle it, because it is kind of odd if that's not your tradition or that's not your home. But I don't think that's really too productive, and I like to take occasions like that, where I stepped into that church, to indeed uh, try and re-examine the loves and worship patterns in my own life and figure out how I want to deal with what I have as desires and affections and cravings and precious things. What I want to say to you this morning is there is actually no such thing as atheism in any culture of this world. That's because there is no such thing as a life without worship. Everybody worships something. And most of us worship many somethings in the course of any given week. So the question isn't whether we worship, the real question is, what do we love? What do you love, and what do I love? Because we tend to worship what we love, right? Whatever draws in our affections, our attention, our trust, our loyalty, that's what we tend to worship. And we actually create these little liturgies that help us hold these affections in place. Little habits, little rituals. We don't even think about these, but they are in our day. Little practices that allow us to retain our reverence for all these little idols that we worship. Now, the idolatries of other people, other cultures, they always seem more exotic, so they catch our attention. In Cortona, it's St. Margaret, from my vantage point at least. In the Melanesian islands of the South Pacific, they have what's called a cargo cult. And these tribes people, they construct airplanes out of crops and grasses, 
and they actually pray to a god of theirs that some plane or some ship might descend upon their island with some consumer goods. Because they learned this from their elders during the Pacific Theater years of the, of the Second World War, that, that planes would come in with spam and crackers and all the other things that were brought to such places. Cargo cults in a village in India. They have encased in a glass uh, altar a motorcycle. And it's an Enf a Royal Enfield Bullet 350, for those of you who care about bikes. This one's been in a crash, so they pray to the gods in the presence of this cycle that they themselves on their own motorbikes would not experience a crash. They worship the motorcycle. At St. John's Cathedral in Fresno, California, there's a really modest tree outside of the church, and uh, the sap from that tree weeps. And so people believe, uh, some of the parishioners in that church, they believe that this is God weeping. So every time they hold the tree and they say, glory be to God in the name of Jesus Christ, the parishioners argue that the tree weeps more, that God is, in fact, there weeping. All I want us to recognize is that everybody worships. There's no such thing as atheism. Every one of us, every single one of our friends, we worship. It's just a matter of what. What do we love? What do we desire in life? What pulls upon our trust, our confidence? What, what captures our uh, affections? Some of the things we worship, you know as well as I do, they come back and they bite us. You fall in love with your intellect, with your smarts. Well, guess what? You're always going to have to play on the defense, making sure you never say something stupid, lest someone discover you're a fraud. We fall in love with our money sometimes. It's just an obsession. If you're not in the financial industry, checking that ticker of the Standard & Poor's and the NASDAQ and the stock market. And things, we know how things just become little idolatries in our lives. Fall in love with youthful beauty, and the joke is on us as our bodies age and show us something else, and we discover the older we get, the more we're apt to miss the loveliness and the personality and the character of other people if all we're focused on is youth and beauty. We worship the calendar. Sometimes we worship a habit of lying or maybe our competitive instincts so that every time you lose, it feels like a mortal wound. We fall in love with our politics, living and breathing a particular brand of politics. And your party of choice, it rarely does anything wrong, and the other party never does anything right. Well, you get the idea. Things that we accidentally end up worshiping or revering or desiring, they may be good things in and of themselves, but we end up bestowing on them a power that they were never meant to have. And each of us, and every one of our households, we have these, these, these little idiosyncratic idols. And by the way, idols, they don't have to be humongous. They don't have to be negative. They don't have to be, even be dangerous. They just end up capturing more of our attention than they deserve. In my garage at home, 
we have a dead poinsettia on the shelf in the back corner, which has been there for about four years. It's actually my dead poinsettia. And every spring and every fall, we have a kind of little liturgy that, that we just end up speaking. My wife Susan says, can't we get rid of this poinsettia? And I say, no, I might need it for a kid's message at church <laughs> when you want to talk and contrast life with death. And she says, well, that's fine, but you can get another thing at that time. I said, no, no, no. It, at 10 at night on a Saturday, you can't make a plant die and have it ready for Sunday morning. It's a silly example. But not all idols are negative. They're not all dangerous. They're not all huge and humongous. They just end up capturing more of our attention than they deserve. So one day, Paul arrives in the city of Athens. He's on one of his many journeys, and he's walking the city like a good traveler. And all he sees are idols everywhere. Everywhere he looks, there's, there's an idol. There's more idols in Athens than there are car wash outfits in the Quad Cities. Or, or Grammys that Beyonce has won. Or Starbucks stores in Seattle. They're everywhere. Silver, gold, bronze, porcelain, marble, shrines, temples, statues. The god of beauty and youth. There's statues for that. War and wine, sex and fertility, sea and fire. Every human need, every human craving, every human desire and affection, it's physically represented by what Paul sees. All these statues and monuments and uh, temples. Well, there's some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers in that town. I read about them moments ago. Athens was known for its uh, philosophy. These guys would sit at the corner cafe, sip their coffee, and they would debate, and they would discuss, <clears throat> and they would, as we say in our time and day, solve the problems of the world. Well, here comes the Apostle Paul. And these philosophers, they're intrigued by this guy. Paul is good with words. He's a debater. He's a lawyer. He quotes from their poets. He knows the literature of the Greeks there. He's no slouch when it comes to debate. Some of these philosophers, they say, what's this talker? What's this babbler? What's this preacher trying to say? Other than the philosophers said, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he preaches and talks about Jesus and the resurrection. All this teaching of yours, it sounds so strange to us. We'd like to know what it means, they said to the Apostle Paul. So he meets them at the Areopagus, which is this gigantic rock right in the heart of Athens. And at the Areopagus, for centuries, this is where the Athenian people, uh, the courts of law would meet. They would deliberate, they would decide, they would, you know, uh, settle everything from murder cases to misdemeanors. This is where Paul is having a conversation with the philosophers. It's right, by the way, at the foot of the Acropolis, if you study that in school or if any of you have, in fact, been there. Paul, standing on the Areopagus, that rock in the front there of the Acropolis, he says, O oh, Athenians, 
I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went about your city and observed your objects of worship, I happened to find among them one altar, and it had the inscription on it, to an unknown God. Paul sees an opening here. Even if these Athenians have an idol for every occasion, every day of the year, every possible craving they've ever had, still they have some need that they can't articulate. They've got this miscellaneous altar to an unknown God. They're groping for something. They're searching for something. And Paul, he tells these Athenians as joyfully and happily as he can about Jesus. The one they're searching for is actually available. Not far away at all, not made out of stone, but actually resting or capable of resting in the human heart. When Paul sees that to an unknown uh, God, that altar, he's thinking, you know, just like we speak of in our time, there's this God-shaped hole in every human heart, and the only thing that will fill that hole, it's not alcohol, it's not money, it's not a, it's not a dead point setting in your garage, the only thing that will fill that God-sized hole is the Lord. And Paul starts talking to them about how God sends this Jesus and raises him from the dead and takes the broken pieces of our lives and puts them back together, the big word for which is redemption. But notice what Paul does not do. He doesn't smash their idols. He doesn't ridicule or, mod- or, or, or mock them for whatever kinds of worship they're engaging. He is simply introducing them to Jesus. He's a witness. He serves as a witness. He tells them that this altar to an unknown God, that's precisely the beginning of the answer for that hole that's in their heart where they're looking for something they haven't yet found. You know, the more I read the Bible, the more I realize, especially in the Old Testament Scriptures, that uh, the human heart is always more important than the brain or the mind at least as far as the writers of Scripture were concerned. Of first importance is not what Israel thinks. It's not what it wills even. But always to the Lord and to the writers of Scripture, what is of first importance is what does Israel love and whom do the people love? Well, that's our question too. What do we love? What do we want to put uh, into our hearts Because whatever that is, we're going to end up worshiping it, even if we don't want to. May the Lord bless you and me with this Lord Jesus Christ, who Paul says is not far away at all, uh, but very close, as close as the human heart. And in him we live and move and have our being. Amen.
invite you to join me in prayer as together we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Well, friends, there are all kinds of people in this world who worship at the altar of an unknown God. So this week, in your own humble way, you might model what a life in Christ can actually look like. And in so doing, you might make a difference in someone else's life. May the Lord bless you and your days. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and thanks for your support of the ministries of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Our commitment to projects that lend hope to other people stretches across the country and around the world. We hope that in a good way you feel a part of that reach. Tune in next Thursday for another edition of the St. Paul Podcast.